Hello, Rich Bolas here, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Dad Mindset Show. Today, I chat again with clinical psychology registrar Arnie Phillips, aka the Child Whisperer, as part of our coronavirus lockdown series. This week, Arnie and I discuss social loneliness and the anxiety and exhaustion caused by COVID-19 lockdown. Again, I need to stress that the content of this podcast doesn't constitute, nor should it be considered, specific psychological advice for you or your child. As with all medical, physical and mental health queries you may have, the best place to start is with your family GP or your child's paediatrician. That being said, I hope you enjoyed this chat with Arnie. Arnie Phillips, welcome back to the show. Rich, thank you. It's been a while. It has. It has. How have you been? Oh, not not bad at all. I um, my beard is gradually getting back to what it was before I made my um, mid-COVID shaving error. So <laughs> <laughs> you, you might have noticed that it's semi-recovering. <laughs> it's looking good, looking good. I think people went the other way. People were growing beards, beards at the start of COVID. Yeah, I, I was meant to be, but the um, guard and my clippers dropped off and took a massive chunk out. So. <laughs> That's ace. <laughs> Had to start from scratch. <laughs> Damn it, it's just like November. <laughs> Do I really have yeah, to shave my beard to start? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure yeah, I could exactly. Cut a good mo out of this. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, it was the mo that started it all. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. That's so I um probably get giving more detail here than I should. Like I was just trimming the mo yeah. and then the clippers dropped off. So I shaved off half the moat in one swipe. <laughs> you I'm couldn't like, have done have that, that if you so tried. I, yeah. I know, exactly. So I tidied it up and just got rid of the moat. So then I just looked like a fat overgrown dwarf. <laughs> like an Amish beard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I'd be stuck out in the garden. <laughs> um, yeah, so I trimmed the entire beard and looked like a fool and my dog didn't recognize me and oh, I've been feverishly trying to grow it back ever since. Your dog not recognizing you. That's cold. Come on, Barney. No, no. It's me. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So but other than that. What what else has been happening apart from the beard? Uh I've got a new new job shifted um work. So I've taken up a research position at Impact that is an acronym that shall remain unknown because I forget. <laughs> but you do love an acronym. <laughs> I do love an acronym, yeah. That um was part of the appeal to get me across there. <laughs> they made a made a whole department for you, Arnie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's a research branch of Deakin University and a partnership with Bowen Health as great. well. Um, and, yeah, it was a great opportunity for me to mix my new career of psychology with my old IT career. We're looking at um, online and digital interventions so, yeah, there's a few projects that I'm working on there, which is fantastic. So doing that for three days a week and then still seeing doing private practice as well. Brilliant. No, so, the project sounds really, really interesting, Oni, and I, I can't imagine it being more important at any other time. Like I think having more capacity for online interventions is going to be so required. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and one of the projects in particular is uh, Depression Assist. So it's developing resources for people who are supporting um, a loved one, family member with depression. 
and it gives them resources to help the person who's got that diagnosis of depression. So um, that's a really helpful project in itself. The other one we're working on is um, for people with a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, and that's a combination of face-to-face group workshops, individual sessions, there's a smartphone app, and then that also has a um, website with resources for the support network as well. So it's, um, yeah, I think they're very helpful just in the fact that they're introducing therapy to the online, the, that online forum or online medium, um, but also the fact that they're providing resources for the support network yeah. as well. I yeah. think that's really important, Ani, because, I, I mean, um, as we know, it was Are You OK Week last week, and, yeah. and you know, the, the, well, day, sorry, then the question is, are you okay? But what do you do with the information if someone turns around and says, you know, actually, I'm not okay. I'm feeling pretty bad right now. Uh, and yeah. having those tools, that's, I mean, uh, that can be tough as well. So obviously these, the, this would enable the support members to, to have the right framework and an idea to hold someone's hand through that. Is that the case? It would, yeah. Yeah, so it goes into a lot of detail. So, um, and it's very personalised. So, the um, depression assist, for example, you know, you might log in and do some coursework that asks you what are the strengths of the person, and how can you use them as a reminder to support the person in terms of their self worth or um, their value to society, if you like. Um, generally speaking, so. Yeah, from that respect, it really is a very useful tool and a personalised tool for each individual. Um, but getting back to the, are you okay? You know, there's it'll help with that. There's plenty of other um, resources out there that are available for that. You know, the conversation that comes after the, are you okay? Question. It's a matter of people, I think, being. Um, being prepared but also being confident that they are able to have that conversation. Um, Choosing the right time to have that conversation and ask the question is another point I think that's worth kind of considering. Um, You know, it may be that someone doesn't necessarily want to open up about how they're feeling in the middle of the staff tea room at 10 o'clock when everyone's about to rush in. Yeah. I can see how that could be awkward. <laughs> excuse yeah. me. Excuse me. I just need to get past. <laughs> or at the start of a uh, Zoom session is probably a bit more appropriate now, isn't it? When everyone <laughs> yeah. else is just about to connect into that Zoom room. Yeah, you got that, that one and a half minute window because you're the only person that made it early. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Hang on. Uh, Are you okay? We yeah. Can't, yeah, we can't start the meeting just yet. We've just done an intervention on TED. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. No, it, I mean, seriously, though, it's, I, I don't know about you, but I, I get the feeling there's a lot of people hurting at the moment and really feeling like they're in a pressure cooker. Yeah. And there's a lot of, um, from a private practice perspective, there's a lot of demand. A lot more referrals are coming in, um, which is good on one hand. It's good that people are seeking that support, um, but it is swamping, well, 
not just me in the practice I'm in, every psychologist is getting swamped. Yeah. yeah that's for sure. Yeah. Um, it must yeah. be pretty hard as well in the sense that because you want to give a really good service and if you're stretched or, you know, you've – you you get you your sessions are getting backed up or you're having to turn people away that must be pretty tough as well yeah it is hard it's hard to find that balance because um you do want to make sure like you get into this profession because you want to help people so turning people away away when they come to you for help isn't what we kind of get into this profession for but you need to look at the bigger picture i think and just accept the fact that you can only do so much um, and if you start taking on more than what you're capable of doing, then the repercussions are that you're delivering less to a broader population um, and not necessarily meeting any level that they expect and that you as expect and that the profession as a whole would expect. So, yeah, it does kind of get tough trying to work out who do I take on, um, how do I manage caseload how do i manage um how frequently will i be seeing them have i got that capacity as well so yeah they're all the things that you kind of need to take on board so getting back to these apps that we're kind of working on on the online resources that's where another area where it can be helpful to um i guess upskill the support network to make sure that they're able to help um people who have a diagnosis of depression or any other psychological disorder to be able to support them when they're not in therapy because, you know, let's face it, if we, even if they are seeing a psychologist, then that's 50 minutes a week hmm. or 50 minutes a fortnight or yeah. 50 minutes a month. Um, it's what happens outside treatment that makes the big difference. Yeah. And we, we were talking a little bit about anxiety earlier weren't we like is yeah. that something that you're seeing that's much more elevated at the moment yeah anxiety anxiety is it's i feel like anxiety is always there in a lot of clients whether or not it's the predominant um reason for their presentation um i find anxiety is the kind of one of the areas that we can work on for you know it could be half a session that we'll talk about um, or it could be a couple of sessions because you need to get the any anxiety resolved before treatment proper can start to take effect. Yeah. Um, just because of the effect that anxiety can have on the brain. Um, you know, anyone who's anxious isn't going to be functioning at that um, their normal level. So to expect them to take on new concepts or to understand concepts or to be able to articulate how they're feeling, um, it, that can be a challenge until you have uh, worked on the anxiety as well. What, what are some of the sort of signs of anxiety? Like how would, how would someone actually identify it normally? So typically there's the physiological symptoms. So that could be um, racing heart, shallow breathing, tightness in the chest, feeling sick in the stomach, feeling like you're going to vomit or you need to go to the toilet, um, pins and needles in your hands and feet could be another one. So a definite physiological um, sort of yeah. um, 
uh, yeah, yeah, reactions. And they're all signs that your body is getting ready. You know, anxiety is a response to a threat or a perceived threat. Um, so they're physiological responses that your body is making to the fact that you're going to need to fight something or flee something. So it's that fight or flight response or freeze is another one, but basically you're getting ready for some sort of physical attack. That's what um, your body's doing. It's, it's yeah. interesting you say freeze as well, because that's one that often gets overlooked, isn't it? You know, everyone yeah, talks is, about yeah. fight or flight, uh, but freeze, I reckon, is probably the most predominant one. Um, in the yeah. sense that most people, like if a, technically like a dinosaur came up, they wouldn't run. They'd probably freeze on the spot. And talking with a whole bunch of friends over the last, just like three weeks, I reckon. So there's such a high response of not, not so much, they didn't mention the word overwhelm, but it definitely sounded like that. And I've felt this as well, you know, just certain things that you know are easy, should be able to do and just not being able to punch it through and yeah. not meet the expectations that you'd normally have set for yourself and wh- whether it is like that that sort of freeze thing i don't know but there's definitely yeah. a uh the, the there seems to be a base layer of not so much inaction but not as much performance i think at the moment is what i'm hearing yeah and that's um a good example of the neurological impact of anxiety um so you know, we spoke there about the physiological impact, but from a psychological impact or a neurological impact, it affects the brain in your ability to solve problems, basically, um, to draw on memories, to use language, to understand what people are saying to you, to articulate what you want to say. All that can be affected when you're feeling anxious um, because basically there's, you know, if you break it down to... Um, some basic parts of the brain, that executive functioning part of the brain starts to shut down because when you're being attacked by something or you perceive that you're being attacked by something, you're not going to need to stand there and have a conversation with it or (laughs) you're not going to need to sit there and solve a Rubik's Cube or anything like that. You just need to run or you need to fight it. So your brain just starts to shut down that um, the prefrontal cortex so your executive functioning does take a hit it's diminished yeah it takes a hit yeah um which is why you know people will often say i just can't remember anything or uh, i keep making mistakes i've been doing this for years but for some reason i just keep making these mistakes they're signs of anxiety or stress yeah Wow, I'm just thinking that the amount of times I've said, oh, I can't think of that word. <laughs> just, okay, so moving on, Arnie. Um, how can yeah. I actually sort this out? <laughs> uh, hyper, hypothetically know. speaking, if... Uh... <laughs> just asking for a mate. Yep. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, <laughs> there's a couple of um, very simple strategies. One that uh, I'm amazed at um, how effective it is or to the extent that I'm not amazed anymore, if that makes sense. Um, The number of clients who report that this works from the first time they started using it and they're constantly using it now, Um, and that's deep breathing. 
and that oh, damn can it. Be... I missed my, missed my timing. I was going to go, and now we go to a paywall. And if you want to hear the rest <laughs> of the <this>, uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> sorry, I great didn't... idea. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't do that. Sorry, I couldn't help it. Yeah. So you said uh, deep breathing. That's good. exactly what. You... Yeah, deep breathing. Yes. Yeah. So um, with deep breathing, there's any number of patterns that are out there, but the one I recommend is four, seven, eight. So that's breathing in for four seconds, in through the nose, holding your breath for seven seconds, and then out through the mouth for eight seconds. Um, and doing that, you know, maybe five or ten times when you start to feel anxious or when you notice that you're experiencing some of those, either the physiological or the neurological symptoms, then though that technique can really... Um, but, almost resets your brain back to getting back into that executive functioning. So does it actually just make you hyper-present because you are focusing so much on the breath? Um, so there's a theory, called, it's called the polyvagal theory, and there's a polyvagus nerve that controls um, the your heart rate, your breathing, the adrenaline, muscles, basically those physiological responses that we mentioned before, by doing the deep breathing, it kind of gets control back of the vagus nerve. Um, and I'm sure I'm getting some of these words wrong here, so don't quote me on this. <laughs> um, but so that breathing can help. It, it, part of it is grounding, so part of it does bring you back to the here and now, getting you that... Um, focus but the other part is that real physiological response so it's reminding your body and your brain that the threat that you thought was a threat isn't actually a threat or it's not as big a threat as what you thought you're not going to need to fight that saber-toothed tiger or you're not going to need to run from a snake or whatever um so it's getting you ready for the situation that you are actually in yeah gotcha yeah, because I remember on our previous conversation, you mentioned about, you know, sort of even breathing through, like, um, pursed lips as well, you know, sort of restricting, you, you know, like, almost like smoking a cigarette, like smoking yes. through a tube can actually almost really sort of bring control back to uh, an otherwise anxious situation. Yeah, and that, so breathing through pursed lips is good for someone who might already have a pre-existing um, lung condition so if they've got um copd for example then that would mean that they're not going to get as much oxygen anyway so if you're trying to do that deep breathing breathing in through the nose for four seconds holding for seven out for eight you're not going to be getting the oxygen that you should be if you have copd so your brain is going to be saying we're doing this breathing we're taking in deep breaths we should be getting a lot of oxygen, but there's not enough oxygen getting to our muscles. There's no oxygen in our blood. So then that almost has a reverse effect, so it will trigger even more anxiety, more panic. I know. Okay. Because for some reason, I'm taking deep breaths, but I'm just not getting the oxygen. Yeah. So, you know, the anxiety levels will increase there. The technique of breathing through pursed lips, that is telling your... Like it's giving you that physiological 
feedback to say, I've got pursed lips, I'm only taking in a small amount of oxygen, and that small amount of oxygen that my lips are letting come into my body is actually getting into my lungs, and I recognise that. So, yeah, that's perhaps the example of where small, shallow but controlled breathing would help yeah. to deal with anxiety. Right. And so yeah. what a, would you sort of say to a patient, would you get them doing that first thing in the morning, uh, you know, stopping on the, on a morning walk or something, but like building it into certain parts of their daily routine just to sort of yeah. to grind themselves uh, at regular intervals? Yeah, it's useful to do it um, as part, as you say, as part of your daily routine to not always do it only when you're anxious because if you're only doing it when you're anxious, then you need to remember to do it when you're anxious. So you need to be a bit more conscious. And as we said before, if you're executive functioning part, if that prefrontal cortex is shut down, then you're going to struggle to draw on that memory and to remember to do your deep breathing. Um, so the more you can do it when you're feeling okay, um, then the more you're likely to do it when you're feeling a bit anxious. Yeah, just building um, it into like a self-care routine. Yeah, yep. So it'll, it'll have more efficacy when you do draw on it. Um, it'll probably happen more quickly um, and last for longer when you do actually draw on it. Yeah. And with the so, with the exhale, would that be through yeah. the mouth? Sorry, I didn't catch that earlier. Yes, so, yeah, yeah. So you breathe in through the nose for four, hold for seven, and then out through the mouth. Yep, for eight, yeah. Great. Yep. And so yeah. with the um, – w- what were some of the other – um, techniques that you can draw on? So some of the others, I kind of break them up into that deep breathing and then grounding. So the others, you can draw on um, the deep breathing as well. Um, and these ones are kind of targeted at kids. I can give you a handout that kind of explains some of these things if you want to put it in the show notes. But sure. another good one is palm tracing, and there's a number of different variations you can do on this. But it could be just with one finger tracing a square on the palm of the other hand. Um, I'm showing Rich, but yep. for the listeners, I can see be that clearly. Out. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but basically, as you go across, you'd breathe in. As you go down, you breathe out. Back across the other way, you breathe in, and then go up, breathe out. So it's basically breathe in. Yeah. So so out, the first bit is a, in, you, so you breathe in across the the knuckles of your open yep. palm, and then you'd breathe in. Um, sorry, what was breathe that? Breathe out. Breathe out when you bring it back to the heel of your palm. Yep. And then across your the heel of your palm, you breathe in again, and you breathe yep. out when you push towards your index finger knuckle, like yeah. a, as that sort of square. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, and. So that's just giving you the – it gives you the deep breathing and you do that slowly. Obviously, you don't kind of race to do the square. Um, but if you do that slowly, it gives you that breathing, but it also gives you the tactile feedback as well. So it's giving you – as I said, it's the grounding strategy for you to remind your body that I'm not in a forest getting chased by a saber-toothed tiger. Um I'm sitting here in my room at a Zoom meeting. Everything's okay. Rich isn't going to attack me. 
the only living thing that may attack me is my dog who's asleep and snoring on the floor. And he recognizes you now because <laughs> your beard's grown back. He does because I've got the beard back. <laughs> so everything's okay. Um, so it's just giving you that kind of that tactile response. Yeah. Um, and as I said, there can be variations on that. So you might kind of trace up each finger and breathe in as you trace up and then run your finger down the other side of the finger. As you breathe, breathe out. out. Yep. Breathe in, out in, out, in, out, just up and down the fingers. Um, so there's, yeah, a few different variations you can do uh, for is, that. Is that one that you recommend uh, using with children as well? So getting kids yeah. to do that one? Yeah, yep. That can be um, that can be very helpful. And it can also be helpful to do that for the child as well. So um, that the deep breathing can help with emotional regulation for children. So if they're, you know, in that heightened state or if they're getting panicky or um, having a meltdown or whatever it is that we're calling them, um, getting them to do that deep breathing can help them calm down. But for you to stand there and say, do your deep breathing, do your deep <laughs> yeah, breathing. that's what it's just going through my head right now. It's like, ah, that's about okay. as good as telling someone to calm down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so a good technique is to kind of go into that palm tracing first or it could be rubbing their back or something like that. So Or you do um, do you think you do it like as a as an exercise together at a calm yes, time of yeah. the day and and just uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, almost so that they can then call on that later if they really want to. It's a tool that goes in their toolkit, not one that you bestow on them in the moment in the heat of the moment. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's um yeah, and that's the case with all these, particularly with kids. It's about practicing it so they're used to doing it. So then when they do need to draw on it to actually help calm them or help um, with their emotional regulation, then doing it then um, should be a bit easier. It's and it may be that, you know, as a parent or as their carer, you take their hand and you trace your finger on their palm and that's all you do. You don't tell them, breathe with me. Like yeah. you're just tracing, so they're kind of they're starting to ground that way, and then when you make a connection, you might just say, you know, breathe with me, breathe in, breathe out, um, getting them to count. So just it's different for all children, uh, different for everyone. It's just about working out what works for you, yeah, and trying to make it consistent for the children as well. It's interesting because there have definitely been times when I've been hiding from the kids the fact that like my my whistle is blowing out my ear if you know what i mean so like <laughs> the pressure cooker is about to pop and yeah. and i'm just wondering whether it'd actually be worthwhile just demonstrate like being sharing with them i guess look I, i'm about to pop right now so this is what i'm doing i'm gonna go do my breathing exercise you know just yeah. modeling it you know yeah exactly yeah and modeling does play a big part in it um, for because by modelling it, kids not only see that, well, Dad does it um, and it works for him, so it's probably going to work for me, but when they're in that heightened state and they need you to help co-regulate for them because they can't self-regulate, then it, it's got that, you've got that trust already because Dad can control his big emotions, so I know he can control my big emotions. Yeah. 
I think one of the, um, the best films I've seen to help kids with this and help me actually was Inside <laughs> Out. It was yeah. such a good movie. And, yeah. uh, you know, I heard lots of parents say the same thing. You know, it's great to be able to have a conversation with their kids and go, oh, you know, oh, who's at the controls right now? <laughs> Obviously, maybe not when anger's there, but uh, <laughs> it, it was, it was yeah. really, really well done, I thought. Yep. No, it is. Yeah, that's a great, great one, that one. A- any other any other thoughts or, or like exercises there, Arnie, that you can think um, of? Around yeah, anxiety? there's a couple of others. So another one, so I mentioned before, you know, if you might be rubbing rubbing them on their back to help them calm down, another one can just be, you know, guess the words. So you might trace out letters on their back or just trace numbers on their back or something like that just to, again, ground them. Um, another one is sensory eye spy. So you might just sit with them and take it in turns to say what are five things you can see, four things you can hear, three things you can touch, two things you can smell, one thing you can taste, um, just listing those things out. Uh Another one can be, and this you know might be useful at bedtime or when you need to have a quiet time in the yard or something like that, to just say what's the furthest thing that you can hear, um, or starting from here, what's the most immediate thing you can hear? I can hear my dog snoring. I can hear <laughs> the um, filter on the fish tank. I can hear the air conditioning. Yeah. I can hear the dog barking next door. I can hear the cars on the highway. Just kind of working your way from here to further and further and further out. Um, but basically all these things are just about using the five senses. Yeah, focusing in on them. Yeah, um, just to be increase your awareness of where you are. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, the sensory eye spy can be really useful if um, – Again, if you've practiced that and it becomes part of the repertoire, um, then a kid can call on that, you know, when they're alone, but they need to calm down. They'll just think of what are five things I can see now. You know, I can see my pencil case. I can see the teacher up the front. Do kids even have pencil cases these days? Absolutely. <laughs> it's not just tablets. <laughs> no. Well, my kids do anyway. <laughs> I try to try and keep the tablets from them. They, uh, although they they crack it so many times. I said today, oh, Ali, where's your where's your tablet? You need to upload your homework. And she was like, I don't know. You keep hiding it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, and yeah. you're like, calm down. Yeah, just yeah. do your deep breathing. <laughs> no, was, hang on, I'll just rub you back. <laughs> it, it, it's a fair cop because uh, I definitely have been hiding their iPads. <laughs> As long as you remember where they are. Well, that's the thing, because <laughs> I've been going <laughs> off to work, <laughs> so I wouldn't actually tell someone. I even hide the TV remote as well, because we find that if the <laughs> if the TV or games get played before breakfast, then homeschooling is just an upward slog. Whereas if we can keep keep them off the screens um, until they've done their work, it's it works so much better. So uh, yeah, I think uh, it's not just homeschooling; it's working from home as well. <laughs> well. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I know you're right. But um, yeah, oh, yeah, it's uh, it's a double edged sword. The the whole sort of technology to help with homeschooling, and yet it it, it can really undermine it as well, like yeah. within minutes. And I think. Who, who was it? Was it explaining? I think it was 
um yeah dr christie was saying you know it's it's because it's so hyper arousing you know the the yep. the apps and games and they're designed to arouse the mind you know so yeah. all of a sudden yeah. your schoolwork's gonna look incredibly boring after <laughs> after looking at that you should try doing telehealth sessions with kids rich <laughs> <laughs> like you mean i have to sit there and talk to this guy for half an hour <laughs> <laughs> Half an hour is like a, a large chunk of my lifetime right now. <laughs> yeah. Do you know how much I could build in Minecraft in that half hour? <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's not get on to that. <laughs> oh. uh, so, um, yeah, I'll, I can send you a um, handout that I've got on those calming activities. Yeah, that, that would be really good. And, and obviously, I think it's useful. Oh no, absolutely. And so I think this this whole idea of the base layer of anxiety, I love this idea of just building into my daily routine. You know, the I, I'm definitely going to go back to the uh, four seven eight breathing because that's something I I definitely did it a while back and I loved it. I don't know why it dropped off, so I have to stick that back <laughs> in the mix. But um, try to get the kids on. I mean, the kids have really liked doing the. Um, we've been listening to the Calm app at night to to go to bed, yeah. and that's been working yeah. well. So yeah. um, definitely helps Ali get sleep, you know, just listening to yeah, their, their bedtime sort of meditation. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's just become sort of accepted within the family now. Like, ah, oh, that's just a cool thing to do to go to bed. Nice. Yeah, that's good. And that is contributing to the, you know, the pre-bed routine, the pre-sleep routine, um, which, again, is a great way to tell your brain that we're going to bed, we're going to sleep, let's start to get ready for bed and get ready for sleep now as opposed to you know jumping on youtube for half an hour before bed and then on minecraft and then suddenly with after all that stimulation you try you expect your brain to just go all right let's sleep now let's stop all those thoughts let's shut all that information off and let's sleep yeah totally i think i i heard an update i think it's a conversation malcolm uh, sorry, Matthew Walker, the the guy that wrote um, "Why We Sleep," he he reckons he's updated on blue light at night time as well. So yeah, okay. they always thought it was blue light that was the issue with looking at devices before going to sleep, and 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 now he sort of said in a, a talk I listened to the other day that it's actually, or he thinks it's it's more a case of like just as you said, Arnie, the your your brain is hyper aroused by you know working these apps like thinking through emails work emails whatever that's the yeah. issue your brain's racing then and as soon as you close your eyes there's no way it's going to wind down well not yeah. for another half an hour anyway so yep. so yeah, that exactly. sort of uh, almost like keeping the digital items out of your room your bedroom um or well one of the things I've been trying to do this week is um yeah charge the phone in the kitchen and yep. just have an analog clock next to the bed. And it actually yeah. just felt like a bit of control as well. It's like, yeah, okay, I can control an analog alarm clock. I know it's going to be there. I know what time the alarm goes off and there's nothing else going to hit me during the night. Yeah. I was having conversations in the UK um, and, and they'd be at all hours at one stage. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's not awesome to wake up in the morning and fire it up first thing you see after the last thing you saw and... So yeah, uh, yeah, I think that that's right. that step away from digital device in the bedroom has been really good. Yeah, and that helps you resist that urge to um, look at the time when you do wake up. Often a lot of people who have difficulties sleeping or difficulty 
maintaining sleep. Um, a lot of things that my clients will do, you know, they come in and they say, yeah, I keep waking up at between two and three every morning and then I can't get to sleep for two hours or three hours later, I'm still lying there. Um, and it gets to the point where you'll be lying there and you wake up and you look at the, the first thing you do is grab your phone to look at the time so you can say, yep, told you so, it's 2.34. Yeah. Um, and see, now I'm awake. And look, now I'm going to, I'll still be awake here at three o'clock. So it almost becomes that, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy that I knew I'd still be awake. I knew I wouldn't be awake for two hours. (laughs) Whereas if you can resist that urge to just not look at the time, um, then for a number of people, I'm not going to say everyone, (laughs) but um, they'll be able to regain sleep or maintain sleep then. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it's, an, it's an interesting one, isn't it? So you could almost have yeah. like an alarm clock that doesn't have any time on it. It's like it, it, you've got like tape over the front. Aren't they so, kids? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly right. I've got three of them. <laughs> except, except the eldest one doesn't work as an alarm clock anymore because she sleeps longer than we do. <laughs> and the other rhythm. two are unreliable because they just keep coming in. <laughs> yeah, four, right. four in the morning or seven in the morning. And they don't have a clue what time it is. is <laughs> Isn't it time to get up? Yeah. Is it breakfast time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do know <laughs> yeah. what time that is, <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that's definitely been um, a, a, an update that's worked for me. I think so. I, I like that. Um, nice t- keeping the digital devices out of the bedroom. But um, yeah. I think we we talked earlier about um, you know the personal standards issue as well, and this is something that I've been grappling with a bit. I think I definitely have been holding myself accountable to the former me and yeah. and really it's 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 pretty tough because you become so hard on yourself and i reckon that's that's <laughs> that, that's been beating me up a lot um yeah. have you noticed a lot of that with with clients i have yeah and it's probably there's two perspectives of it so there's the um i think from what you were talking about there it's that inability to maintain the standards that you've always achieved just because of the change in environment that we're in. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, you know, the fact that you're now working from home, you're also a teacher, a principal, a work colleague for your wife in a workplace that you have no idea that what she's doing. Or for me anyway, who's an accountant. (laughs) I've got no idea, (laughs) but we're work colleagues as well. Yeah. Um, and the you know the exhaustion of the six months or eight months of what we've been going through and the uncertainty of the future about or not so much now i think we're getting some clarity but the roadmap out of what we're in now for those people who are stuck in uh, in victoria or even metropolitan melbourne so there's that element of stress that means you know you're expecting yourself to perform at a level that you were at prior to all this COVID dropping in. But the other thing that I'm noticing, and this is probably more with um, with the kids that I see, is that they're losing the ability to benchmark themselves, not against their former self, but against other 
students. Yeah, um, yeah of course, because so, in a classroom, they'd, they'd constantly be getting those feedback loops. Like, yeah. who's, the, who's the, the kid that normally gets the math questions right? Or, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm normally, say, number three or four, or, you know, or I'm always at the bottom when it comes to this one. But they, yeah, exactly. they wouldn't be getting any of that feedback at the moment. Yeah, yep. And, you know, they might be getting feedback from the teacher that they would get in the classroom. Um, if they ask a question, then the teacher's probably going to say, yes, that's right, or no, that's wrong, or good try, or whatever it is. But the other student who was going to say what they always say, and when they say it, then they're usually right, and then some of the things that I think I'm going to say are 90% with what they say, so that's a good gauge for me to know you know, how I'm faring. If that student isn't talking or if I don't hear what feedback they're giving, then I've got no way to tell if what I said was right. I've got no way to tell if the kid two seats down, um, he usually struggles. I don't know if he's struggling or I don't know if he's suddenly excelling in this subject when in yeah. the past he didn't. And there's no body um, language or anything to nothing. give yeah. cues or... Yeah, exactly. Um, so a lot of my clients are getting into that, almost into that spiral of anticipating that they're the one who's not getting it and they're the only one who's not getting it. Everyone else in the class is performing at their 100% normal self, Yeah. but I'm performing well below what I was six months ago or last year or whatever it is. So they, they, they've still got the, the, the metrics pegged at their, their colleagues and classmates, but they haven't updated their sort of score scoring system to yeah. compensate for everyone being yeah, exactly. uh, at a lower level. Yeah. They haven't reset the KPIs, Rich. <laughs> Schoolboy <school> error. <laughs> <laughs> Rookie mistake, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a really interesting one because I hadn't even considered that for the kids. Yeah, the fact that, yeah. you know, they would have constant, you know, touchstones of how they're, they're faring. And not just, like you say, the teacher saying, yeah, that's correct. Because there are so many more cues that you know, you could rattle off like it's just a, a smile from someone or someone next to you, even if they huff and puff because you got the question right ahead of them. You know, these yeah. are all indicators and, and cues that formulate like, yeah, you're on the right track or, you know, you're on the wrong track or whatever. But yeah. so much of that has been removed from the environment yep. that the kids are learning in right now. Yeah. And I think for those parents that work and, you know, work in a office environment, a can be helpful to have a think about what are the feedback cues that I use in a normal workplace to know how I'm going other than just my boss saying, good job. You know, is it um, someone in the tea room who pats me on the back and says, hey, great presentation today? Or is it someone at lunch who says, geez, Rich, you're way off target today, mate. What were you talking about? <laughs> Or is it, you know, the sigh or the smile in the meeting room when you say something and, you know, someone just sighs in exasperation or someone else smiles as if to say, that's genius. That's why we've got Rich here. Yeah, just the hums just and picking up on those. The, yeah, just agreement. Yeah. You don't get that yeah. sort of stuff. It's so hard no, to capture. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, so if you can translate that to what would that look like in the school environment, um, it's 
you know, the feedback in the classroom, it's the, the body language and facial expressions in the classroom or in the corridors or out in the playground, who's talking to who, who's saying, oh, you're the smartest kid in the classroom. Um, are you getting any of that feedback? I imagine there's some kids that are loving the fact that they're not getting feedback, especially the ones yeah. that normally get picked on for getting the questions right. But um, yeah. the, the, the the small percentage aside, I imagine it's it's a, it's a big issue for a lot of kids. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, what other thoughts do you have around? Uh, I guess the you know the impacts that this is all having on kids long term, Arnie. Well. That's well and truly out of my territory, I think. Crystal balls aside. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, well, I reckon we could go on for hours with that, but I think there'll be um, positive and negative impacts. You know, it's the exposure that my nephew is getting to, you know, he's in prep this year. Um, So he's most prep in Melbourne. So most of his school year has been online, remote. Um, so he isn't getting that opportunity to engage with a lot of other kids in that um, school setting. Um, but he'll get that. There'll be opportunities next year for that to happen. He's been going to um, Kinder. He's a very sociable kid anyway. Um, but is from an academic perspective, his mum and dad have spent a lot of time developing his skills. Um, so, you know, from an academic perspective, he's probably advanced really well. Um, he, his relationship with his brother and as a family unit, their relationship has blossomed, I'd say. So, you know, that's taking one kid in one household at one age group there's so many other variables that will be in there. Um, I think only time's going to tell as to how that'll impact society as a whole and the individuals. But I kind of think of, um, you know, even little kids down the street who don't see the smiling um, strangers who actually acknowledge them and make eye contact and, you know, give them that smile to say, hey, not everyone in the world's a bad guy. Yeah. Um, those kids aren't seeing those smiles. So I kind of wonder what impact is it having on them? The best you can do is give them a thumbs up <laughs> That's and right. try and smile with your eyes. We, yeah. <laughs> smi- smiling through a mask just doesn't work. <laughs> it just looks nah. creepy. Just shame it have a field day, wouldn't they? staring so. at me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and if you draw so, a smile, um, draw a smile on the front of your mask, you just look like the Joker. So that's not good either. You just look weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, what what other thoughts do you have then, Arnie? I mean, these these times, you know. Uh, well, actually, one one thing I wanted to add was, it's a time when everyone that I talk to that says they're struggling, they they add, and I shouldn't complain, because I know that we've got it so much better than so many people. And so I feel like people have this real tension as well around like, I shouldn't be complaining about this because this is, I've got nothing to complain about compared to people who've lost family members, you know, people who've lost their jobs, their, you know, their houses or whatever, you know, 
this is not something I should even begin to complain about. So I think there's that sort of tension that builds up as well. Yeah, yeah, I think, and I'd say that's that mindset is probably what keeps people away from um, seeking psychological support in a lot of cases as well as thinking, well, you know, I've, I've got a job, I've got a house, I've got a car, I've got a family. I don't deserve to be feeling depressed or I don't deserve to be feeling anxious or stressed. There's plenty of other people who are worse off than me, so I'm not going to seek that support. I'd kind of say different people have different challenges. Um, different people will have different levels of resilience. Um, and I would say if you think you're struggling or if you think you could benefit from support, then seek it. Um, as we mentioned earlier, I think we'd hit record by the time we started talking about this. <laughs> There's the difficulty of um, getting in to see a psychologist now. Um, so there may be a bit of a wait for some people, but just talking about it with a trusted friend or family member or your partner um, or even, you know, work colleague, your boss, um, counsellors, therapists, psychologists, just having that conversation can do a lot to lift the um, lift the burden. Yeah. yeah I know a lot of people kind of talk about, I don't want to share it with you because then my burden becomes your burden. Yeah, I used to joke about, you know, a problem shared is a problem for two people. <laughs> but yeah. I think that's actually quite a caustic thing to say, isn't it? Because in this situation, it's it's a time when actually, if you are feeling a bit shitty, it's well worth sharing. Because I reckon yeah. that, and based on, you know, a straw poll that I've been doing over the last few <laughs> few weeks, the majority of people are going to say, you know what, me too, feeling pretty shit too. Yeah. yeah. And I'll um, often kind of flip that around when, Clients will say, you know, why would I want to talk with them about that? Um, or I don't want to share that with them. She's got enough to worry about. Kind of flip it around and say, well, what about if your partner or your friend was feeling this way and they didn't share it with you? Hmm. They, If they felt that they couldn't share it with you, yeah, how would you feel then? You'd feel really And bad. then conversely, yeah. if they did share it with you, how would you feel? Would you feel burdened? Or would you feel honoured that they'd um, opened up to you and they'd shared with you and they'd trusted with you to um, not necessarily expecting you to solve it, but trusted you to keep it confidential and to be there for them? Like you'd be honoured if yeah. someone was to share that with you. So try and think of it in that perspective when you are looking for someone to talk to. You're not necessarily burdening them. You're almost um, yeah, showing them how valuable your friendship or your relationship with them is by trusting them. Yeah, that's a great point, Ani. Yeah. I certainly hadn't thought of it like that. So, yeah, that's really useful. There well, you go. Um, it's only taken you 50 minutes to get a good point out of it. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, 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 not at all, Ani. That wasn't a good point. No, that's a, no, no, no. no it's the, the, the I, I think I, I think it's great what you, what you what you're doing, Arnie. This is it's so useful. And like I say, I think there's such a need for this. This is such a burgeoning space. Now, 
I mean, personally, I've always looked at, at this and I came from a family, I shouldn't say family, but a an era, I guess, when, you know, people looked on people who saw psychologists and so on as, as broken. Uh, yeah. And and I think like we're opening uh, lenses nowadays to go, no, this is about just knowing yourself better, you know, being yeah. able to you know, notice when the, the you know, people spend more money and spend more time servicing their cars than they do their bodies and their minds. <laughs> yeah. And it, True, it's yeah. just, in, it's crazy. The most yeah. valuable asset we have gets neglected to high heavens. <laughs> like, Maybe yeah. I should um, start advertising myself as a brain mechanic and see how that goes. <laughs> Put it in the classifieds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although I don't think you need to advertise it right now. <laughs> I don't think yeah, true. getting more business is an issue. <laughs> Servicing more, that's, that's the, you're in the right space working on the apps. I think that's, yeah, that's yeah, definitely exactly. where you can uh, leverage your uh, uh, expertise on it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's right. <laughs> anyway, I, I think that's actually a really good uh, place to draw to an end on, on this episode, Arnie. I think it's, I mean, there's loads of stuff there for, for me to take away. And uh, I hope uh, anyone else out there listening as well. So I want to thank you, Arnie, as ever, for for no being worries. such a, a great inspiration and uh, and help. And uh, No look, worries at all. Thanks. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now that the uh, restrictions are slightly lifting, we what? might be able to see each other face to face. That's right. We might be able to have that pizza. Or mask to mask. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> look forward to it. <laughs> cool. Yeah. All right, Arnie. Well, thanks ever so much. It's been uh, great as ever. Awesome. Thanks, Rich. Thanks ever so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Arnie as much as I did. If you're enjoying these conversations, please give the show a rating and even more so, please review it. I love reading the reviews and it really helps others to discover the podcast. If you haven't yet got into it, I'm finding the ABC's daily podcast, CoronaCast, an excellent resource for keeping up to date with where things are at with the pandemic. It's mainly Australia-centric, but discusses topics relevant to everyone going through lockdown at the moment. Just search for CoronaCast in iTunes. Well, that's all from me. I hope you stay safe and sane, and until next time, enjoy your caffeinated beverage. 